Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The scripture for today is Psalm 8, Hear the Word of God. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name throughout the earth. You made your glory higher than heaven. From the mouths of nursing babies, you have laid a strong foundation because of your foes, in order to stop vengeful enemies. When I look up at your skies, at what your fingers made, the moon and the stars that you firmly set in place, what are human beings that you think about them? What are human beings that you pay attention to them? You've made them only slightly less than divine, crowning them with glory and grandeur. You've let them rule over your handiwork, putting everything under their feet, all sheep and all cattle, the wild animals too, the birds in the sky, the fish of the ocean, everything that travels the pathways of the sea. Lord, our, our Lord, how majestic is your name throughout the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? The lawyer answered, you shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two coins and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of this man. And when I come back, I will repay you for whatever more that you spend. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So, As First Press continues along in this Green Faith Rising series, I'd like to offer a reflection on resiliency and calling. Now, to make sure we're all on the same page, I need to open up this sermon by sharing a a simple definition here. 
In the natural world, an invasive species is any kind of living organism that is not native to an ecosystem and causes harm by spreading aggressively and, and overwhelming an otherwise balanced ecosystem. I share this because after years of leading summer camps and mission trips, I have come to see invasive species removal work as as a helpful test of communal willpower and one of life's great teachable moments. Let me explain by, by juxtaposing two very different experiences that I've held wrestling with invasive species removal. The first begins in the rolling reaches of a Minnesota nature center where I've worked with teams of middle schoolers throughout the years as part of a never-ending battle to remove great forests of buckthorn threatening to overwhelm an old oak savanna. I can remember very clearly how our park hosts each time would cheer us on as we'd crawl on our hands and knees, cutting thick, thorny stems and, and hauling the biomass away. These rangers would go out of their way to share how impressed they were with our hard work, saying what a difference it makes to have groups like ours working together to reclaim a healthy native habitat. I remember leaving work sites like this with my youth and adult volunteers feeling exhausted yet fulfilled, knowing that we each did our part to make a difference in a much larger problem. We didn't do it all, but we each found a place to dig in and make some small measure of progress. It was hard, but ultimately gratifying work. Now, I want to compare this simple service experience with, with day one of, of the final youth mission trip that I led at my previous church. We went to Colorado for a week of service and learning centered around climate justice, trail building, and environmental stewardship. Much of our work days were, were spent hiking in and out of mountain trails in order to simply reach our work site. It was awesome, but it did start on a rather difficult note when, when our group was asked with, to help with, with Colorado's invasive cheatgrass problem on the very first day of our trip. Now, if you, like me, are, are un were unfamiliar with cheatgrass, I'll simply share that it's an invasive annual grass with a, a very short life cycle and prolific seed production. In Colorado hillsides, cheatgrass burns really quickly and, and then is often the very first plant to spread following a fire. This allows cheatgrass to, to eat up entire hillsides of mountains within a few seasons, dominating and suppressing all other plant life. And, and, and the itchy burr-like seeds, I, I still remember how they would cling to every single surface of the clothing that you have on, making it difficult to remove any without accidentally spreading even more along the way. All that to say, it was hard work in the hot Colorado sun, but like each of you at First Prez, 
we were used to working hard and we felt like we were up for the challenge. So we rolled up our sleeves and we got to work. But wow, this stuff was everywhere. And we, we would pull it and, and clip it and bag it, pull, clip, and bag, only to find more and more of the stuff taunting us around each and every corner. It was hard work. We were trying to do our part. And I would say we were doing so faithfully until a new invasive issue emerged. You see, halfway through the morning, one of our park guides, bless his heart, began a steady stream of commentary about what little difference this would probably make in the grand scheme of things. There was just too much cheatgrass, he said. Our efforts probably won't matter. Now, as a trip leader, I, I could feel those invasive influences of, of apathy and despair begin to creep in and spread throughout our work site, sapping at our spirits. While the need remained clear around us, the problem now seemed insurmountable. One by one, our, our youth and adult leaders they lost their resolve and simply checked out. And so despite hauling bags upon bags of this cheatgrass stuff back down the mountain path, we left that day feeling utterly defeated. There is a clear difference here. Between, between the hope of making one's small buckthorn impact in that first story and the despondency that weighed down our bags of cheatgrass in story number two. But really, the sole difference was our outlook. Friends, the mindset that we bring to our mission, it will drive us one way or the other toward action or apathy. Now, these divergent experiences, they have, they have helped me to understand the parable of the Good Samaritan and why it is that even the most well-trained priest or Levite, activist or social worker may walk on by a neighbor in need. At its core, this parable reminds us that we are called to put our faith in love into action, plain and simple. But the thing about parables is that they, they occur in a vacuum. And here in the Good Samaritan story, there is one person of need, one act of love to counter the one great injustice that has occurred. So what happens when there's another neighbor in need along the way? Do you set aside the first to help the second? What if each step brings another worry or need bigger and more complex than the one before? Living through a pandemic in an incredibly partisan time, per perhaps you know the feeling. Each day seems to come with another round of deaths and diagnoses. Another example of, of blame and bias. Another cherished 
gathering postponed, another family grieving while physically separated, another reminder of how far we all have to go in this lonely and uncertain time. These, these difficult layers are coming at us in waves again and again, even as we, as, as the church and society, struggle to find our footing amidst the epidemic of gun violence, racism, and inequality in our communities, amidst this massive crisis of climate change that we are doing little to address. And yes, amidst, amidst the very changing realities, it means of of what to be church, of how to be church in a post-Christendom society. Friends, when we find ourselves confronted with a constellation of needs and challenges facing our lives and communities, it is both easy and natural to feel overwhelmed. How can we keep up with it all, let alone make a difference, when it all seems too complicated, too hard, too much. That's when those invasive attitudes begin to emerge and spread. Apathy subdues our action. Despair clouds our hope. And distraction, distraction does exactly what it describes. It dis attractions us and separates us from a clear, purposeful calling. These invasive influences make it hard to dig into the work that is in front of us and much easier to simply check out. Now, I've always sort of assumed that the young lawyer in this parable is asking the question, who is my neighbor from a relatively blank slate? But it's interesting. If you look closely, the young lawyer really knows their stuff. Remember, it's Jesus who asks what is written in the scripture and the lawyer who gives the beautifully succinct response of love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. This lawyer knows their stuff. So this morning, I want to ask the follow-up question. What if the lawyer's second question here, who is my neighbor? What if that is coming less from a place of ignorance and more from a place of knowing exhaustion? What if this young lawyer has eyes to see the many people around who represent one's neighbor and with a dizzying head is now simply trying to figure out where do we even begin? Friends, I I know that this is one of the core questions that we are navigating in my home faith community right now. How can we respond to the many great complicated needs of our world if we don't know where to start? Now, I want to take us back to that same Colorado cheatgrass trip. For therein lies a a helpful story and lesson of hope for me and, and I think for our time. 
After, after dealing with a hard first day of invasive species removal and an invasive attitudes, our group spent the rest of the week learning the art of trail building and the important, the important work of finding one's critical edge. Now, in terms of trail building, a critical edge forms the crucial guiding line from which you begin and orient your work. It is the marker between path and planet, trail and wilderness. Your footing and direction are both determined from there. And, and, and though countless shrubs and boulders may lie ahead and around, the critical edge marks where you will carve out your 30-inch wide path. And that alone is what makes the work doable. When building or developing trails, this critical edge becomes the path by which you walk and work. In short, it grants the blessed gift of traction, of a clear calling. With a critical edge defined, you can literally dig in and blaze new trails for others to follow for years to come. Friends, I have been away from First Prez for a while, but I am mindful that this beloved community is emerging from an incredible difficult time of transition. While the good seeds of faith, hope, and love have no doubt never left, I would be surprised if seeds of apathy, distraction, and despair were not also sown along the way. As you continue forward in this next chapter of your life and ministry, I want to share two challenging invitations for you all as a community. The first is is to be mindful of the ways that these invasive feelings of apathy, despair, and distraction can take root in times of transition and uncertainty. Look out for them and know that sometimes these invasives need to be uprooted and hauled away before a healthy way forward can be found together. The second is to practice discernment over and over again. Come back to discerning God's will and way for yourselves. We need to remember that that it takes time and intentionality to carve a a path through the wilderness, just as it takes time and intentionality to care for one's neighbor in need. We need to discern our critical edges, our unique places of calling, for for these places of intentionality are what ground us in sustainable ministry. As a church, I I think you have a clear critical edge here in the residency program. This, This unique and beautiful part of your calling has helped so many of us, myself included, to find our way through the wilderness of becoming a pastor. And I hope that you will all continue to support and cultivate this teaching ministry as a key part of your calling, as a central 
critical edge. But that, of course, is just one part of your calling. And while I don't know the specific details and discernment that you all have been sharing as a community in recent years and months, I, I do know that we need the first Presbyterian Ann Arbors of the world to be leading in bold yet focused ways. We need people of faith who can stand alongside our medical and academic leaders and, and advocate for those who are vulnerable and hurting, those at risk of being abandoned along the roadside of a society rushing back to a normal that never provided a quality of care to begin with in the first place. We need people of faith who can navigate overwhelmingly complicated issues like climate change, racism, and global pandemics, both prayerfully and purposefully. We need communities who can resist both the temptation to try to do it all and the, the despair of giving it all up, precisely because they know what their fair portion is and are willing to get to work. We're not called to blaze every trail, but we are called to discern and then do our part. That's what the love of God and neighbor demands of us, to find our calling, our critical edge, and dig in. So friends, may God grant us the faith and wisdom we need to embrace action in place of apathy and hope in the midst of this time of despair. And may God grant each of us traction for our lives and ministries. Amen. Let us pray. Holy One, creator of all, we give thanks to you for every blessing. You are generous to us beyond measure. Keep us filled with gratitude for every gift of life, for family, friends, and the privilege of giving back to you. As we bring what we have this day, we ask your blessing upon it that this church may be a balm for a world of need, still and forever wrapped in your holy and healing love. Amen. Pray with me once again. Center us now, O God. Send your presence in this place among your people. As we lift up our heart's desires, our soul's deep needs, our hungers, fears, and failures. Lord God, you spoke into darkness and chaos, and then there was light. You imagined this earth in its complexity and beauty and called it into being. You created humanity in your own image and gave us a home to live in. But even now, you are still God. We ask today, O oh God, for those who have lost hope and for those who have never had it, grant to us and to those we lift up before you in our hearts a new and abiding vision of what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do to save and redeem your people and indeed creation itself. Grant, O oh God, that all might see and believe and discover their purpose and the purpose of all that is and all that is yet to be. O oh God, we pray for a world in need of your healing touch, your grace, 
and your guidance. We pray for a world where leaders have to make hard decisions, where families are without basic needs, where people are dying with no one around them, and where brave souls risk their lives to help others. We pray for those around us who need your care and ask that you would make of us your instruments of health, healing, peace, and redemption. We pray especially for those whom we have named to you each day, and we lift to you those in silence in our hearts. Reveal your presence with them and with us. God of life, that as people of renewed faith and vitality, we may be empowered to serve your world, and so give to you all the glory. We acknowledge the mystery of faith and prayer and the ways in which we are connected. We acknowledge that you often do things differently than we would do. We long to know you better, to understand more of your ways. And we believe you are still God, even now, for we offer our prayers and our lives in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. Make all our petitions selfless, like those you've taught, teach us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.